Well, good evening, church. Welcome. It's uh, Sunday night, 6.30, and our online gathering. We're uh, working through a really, I think, an interesting series. Of course, I'm maybe not the most objective one to evaluate it, but soul food, the things you need to know about your Bible, how we got it, how to read it. Um, I want to continue with what we started last Sunday night. How do we know which books are authoritative scripture? Only tonight, I want the focus, after a brief review, I want the focus to be on the 27 New Testament books. Here's the text we're studying. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days... He has spoken to us by his son. It's interesting, not just acted in his son, redeemed us in his son, but there's a kind of speaking that comes through Jesus that is the sum, the the end result of all the speaking of the prophets. God spoke to us by our fathers, the prophets, verse 2, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. Jesus is involved in creation. So last week, uh, we began our study of how we arrived at the books we have in our Bibles. And we looked specifically at the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. And what we, the conclusion we came to is Jesus and the New Testament endorse the 24 books of the Jewish Old Testament. Of course, the Jews don't believe in the New Testament, so it would just be the Jewish Scriptures. That's what they would call it. 24 books in the Jewish Scriptures, which correspond exactly to the 39 books we have in our Old Testament, because they combine some books under one title. But it's exactly the same books. So the conclusion we reached is, Jesus endorsed those books and no others. And in the New Testament, we saw Paul and others, they refer, and Jesus refer to those Old Testament books as the scriptures. So, so, uh, there was that recognized body of Old Testament books recognized by the New Testament as the scriptures, and they don't include the 13 apocryphal books or any other intertestamental writings. We have the same Old Testament that Jesus and the New Testament endorsed. So that was a very important point that we came to last uh, last Sunday night. But here's the thing. Of course, our Bibles don't end in, in Malachi. We've, we've got a whole bunch of other books. 27 New Testament books we have. So the question we have to look at today is a crucial one. Maybe the most crucial one. Given that we have already limited the number of books in the Old Testament, excluding the apocryphal writings and some others as well, then what gives us the right suddenly to say, oh no, we got 27 more books that we want to include? What gives us the right to do that? By what process do we embrace a whole set of writings that are to be added to the Hebrew texts that have been cherished, protected, 
embraced for all these years. And I think every Christian owes an explanation for that process. I think every Christian ought to be able to work through the creation of the Bible that we claim to be God's word, that has changed our lives, that gives us divine truth. So let's look at some thoughts. Point number one, Jesus came on the scene telling everyone that these inspired Hebrew texts were all about him. I mean, we simply have no idea the controversy this would have caused, the shocking truth as words came from Jesus' lips. Let me give you some examples. Follow along, because these are important texts. Luke 4, 16 to 21 And he, that's Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Get this. He stood up to read, 17, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. So we've got Isaiah's words in our Old Testament. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, given to Jesus. He unrolled it. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, quote, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, end of quote. And he, Jesus, rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. Obviously, the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. People are stunned. And he began to say to them, look what Jesus says. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. We read those words all the time. People must have fallen out of their seats when they heard Jesus say this. It was stunning stuff. Or look at Luke 16, 14 to 16. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets... The Old Testament. The law and the prophets were until John, John the Baptist. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. Now, look what's happening here. Here, Jesus clearly says a new era has dawned. So the era of the law and the prophets, that was up to John the Baptist. Now Jesus says, that's over. All those things have been fulfilled. So so something, something about Jesus, he doesn't say it in that text, but something about Jesus transcended everything else that had been going on up to John the Baptist. It was amazing. One more, okay? Luke 24, 24 to 27. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said but him they did not see. 
And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe, listen, all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets. So he attributes the writing of those books to Moses. Moses and all the prophets. He interpreted to them in all the scriptures, what? The things concerning himself. So so here's the deal. We spent last Sunday night, these Old Testament texts, we have Jesus' Bible. We have the same books, the ones the New Testament writers call the Scriptures. These are divinely inspired books. But there's a problem because Jesus comes on the scene and he says, if you're going to treat those books seriously, those 39 Old Testament books the 24 that were in the Jewish scriptures, the same as the 39 in ours, if you're going to honor those books as scripture, you have to take seriously what they say about me because they're talking about me. So you can't honor the Old Testament scriptures and not give place to me because I'm the one they're talking about. So Jesus tells these people, that all their inspired Hebrew scriptures were about him. Elijah never said that. Isaiah never said anything like that. Jeremiah never said anything like that. Imagine, everything these treasured, inspired, sacred Hebrew texts said was about Jesus. This is the first step in the process of the New Testament. It blows the walls off their present understanding. Point number two. There's more. Jesus placed his own words and authority above anything they had ever witnessed before. So first, he says, their scriptures were about him. The scriptures, the ones they treasured, they were pointing to his coming. They were pointing to his death. They were pointing to his redemption. But Jesus goes further than that. He puts his own words on the same level as the inspired, sacred Old Testament scriptures. You can see it in so many places. I won't wear you out, but Matthew 5, 38, 39, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's a direct quote. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. So so look carefully here at Jesus. I know what your teachings say. I know your texts. But I'm telling you this. What what are they going to do with this man? Look at Matthew 7, 28 and 29. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. Here's why, 29. For he was teaching them as one who had authority not as their scribes. Don't, don't miss what's being said here. It isn't just that they felt Jesus was a better teacher or that he shouted louder. That's not the issue here. The issue isn't that Jesus was a better teacher. The issue was he was a totally different kind of teacher. And the difference is spelled out in the text. The difference is one of authority. So Jesus' authority was different than the scribes. That's the key. Because the scribes, 
They exposited, sometimes they added to and abused, but they exposited the texts. That's where their authority came from. But Jesus placed his own words on the same level as those sacred texts. We know these words so well, sometimes we don't think them maybe all the way through. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And it's those words, the truth. Now, if that is true, if he is the truth, then, then you just, something has to be done with the words he spoke, with what he said. You start to see the issue now. It's just, it's just starting to boil here. These deeply religious people, they have their sacred texts. They have their scriptures. And then Jesus tells them these scriptures, these sacred scriptures, these inspired scriptures, they, if you take them seriously, they were all pointing to him. They're obligated to listen to what those texts say about Jesus because they were about him. Jesus doesn't just read their text, and he doesn't even just explain their text. He gives, he gives them his own words. He gives the people his own teaching. And so the issue gets real simple. What are we going to do with the words and teachings of Jesus? That's the train of thought we have to work through here. If their scriptures are true, and they are, those Old Testament scriptures, and if those scriptures point to Jesus and they do, and if those scriptures point to Jesus as God the Son, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, okay, and he is, and if Jesus comes on the scene and he says and he does things of such great importance, how are we going to know the words of Jesus? He never wrote a book. Jesus never wrote a book. Jesus never recorded, as far as we know, any of his own words. He never wrote anything down. Isaiah, or his scribe, wrote his revelations down. So did Jeremiah. So did Ezekiel. But Jesus didn't. And so, and so we begin to see the need for some kind of revelation recorded to preserve the words of Jesus. And there's a hint of all that in the text I read at the beginning of this teaching. Go back to it. It's Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. So these words are important because they make the link between the way God established authentic revelation in the past with the way we might expect him to do it after Christ. So, so the whole concept of an inspired Old Testament text was already present. God had given a record of truth through the prophets. People could read what God had revealed before Christ came, all right? So if Christ is the fulfillment of all of that, it seems to me path is being cleared for another kind of inspired 
projected, recorded writings. God would record in similar fashion his deeds through Christ for the church. Norman Anderson wrote a a really good book called God's Word for God's World, and he said this, If we accept Jesus' testimony to the God-given authority of the Old Testament, it would seem unlikely that the most stupendous event in human history, in the life, death, resurrection of our incarnate Lord, would have been left by the God who revealed it in advance without any authoritative record or explanation for future generations. And I think he's absolutely right. Now, is, is that what happened? Do we see any evidence for this process of an additional collection of books? A New Testament canon would be the term. And I'm arguing that I think that's exactly what we should expect to see from Hebrews 1, 1, and 2. And it's exactly what we do see happening. Okay, we're well into it now, so stay with me. Point number three. Jesus prepares the world for a New Testament canon with the recruiting of the 12 apostles. So, Jesus selects and prepares a group of apostles. In this sense, apostles recording. Never to be replaced, never to be added to, to bear sacred, inspired witness to the gospel events around the life of Jesus Christ, God the Son, and the fulfillment of all those Old Testament texts. And these apostles function in the creation of the New Testament, exactly as the prophets did in the Old. Here's the beginning of the process, Luke 6, 13 through 16. When the day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12, whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So, these are the official, inspired bearers of New Testament revelation. They're appointed for a once-for-all task, apostles in this limited sense. And they were never replaced except Matthias, appointed after the death of Judas. But after that, there's no perpetuating. No other apostles are appointed, ever, for that kind of office. So theirs was the foundational work of revelation for the early church and the church today. And when you look at the New Testament, you can actually see the way Jesus prepares them for a very special assignment. The process of this special inspiration It's actually signaled, you have to look for it, but it's actually signaled by Jesus on several occasions. Look at John 14, 24 to 26. Jesus speaking to these apostles, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But he knows he's not going to be with them for long. Look at verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, 
I know, I know those words have a very precious application to all believers. I'm not arguing with that. But I think we miss something very important if we don't see an even more primary application to these words of Jesus to the original apostles and the assignment that would be given to them. They wouldn't just be telling their own story. That's the point. They wouldn't just be concocting their own message. They didn't have to fear the limitations of their own fallible memories or that they might not get something right. This is inspiration. The Holy Spirit would come. He would teach. He would superintend that process in their texting of the revelation of the New Testament. Jesus says the same thing again. It's in John 16. He says, I still, verse 12, John 16, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Remember, over and over again, Jesus would say something to them. We've looked at this, especially Wednesday night and working through the Gospel of Mark. Join us Wednesday night, by the way, 7 o'clock for our devotional refresh. And you see over and over again, Jesus trying to tell them about his death, his resurrection, his ascension. They don't get it. Okay, They, they just they can't get it into their heads. That, that's what Jesus means here. John 16, 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But look, 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Again, this is, this is the inspiration of all that Jesus was and said and taught to those apostles. The Holy Spirit would be present after Jesus was gone. He would come upon those apostles. He would show them things they weren't ready to understand or digest yet. So, so the whole scope of God's redemptive plan, the mission of the church to the Gentile nations, the establishing of the church, all of these things were yet to be recorded. And these words from Jesus are designed to encourage the apostles and assure us today in the church that there's nothing flimsy or shaky about the New Testament revelation, that there's divine attending to that truth. So here's what happened. The criteria for an authentic New Testament canon, those 27 books, was recognized by the church through various periods. False letters and heresies were judged and measured by apostolic measurement, meaning the letters it would include in the New Testament would either have been written by an apostle appointed by Jesus or by someone who was with and supervised by one of the apostles. Such an exciting path of divine activity and enablement in giving the Bible to the church. There's, there's great reasons for certainty. There's a firm foundation of trust, and it's God's word. Okay, we're almost done. Let me encourage you. There are enough writers, there are enough writers prominent in this area who, who question what is meant by inspiration. They use the word but mean something totally different. There are people, you can YouTube their names, and they will talk about errant scriptures, mistaken scriptures, 
Let me do all I can to encourage you to a fresh treasuring of divine revelation. Only this sacred scripture can preserve your soul as you meditate on it. Keep it alive through prayerful and be obedient. Psalm 1, like a tree planted by streams of living water whose leaf does not wither. I never wanted this to be a series just for our heads. It, it, is, it is heart truth. If you long for life and love and the transforming power of Jesus, you want that in you, there's a reminder from our Lord that you must not ignore. His life doesn't reach your life just by osmosis. You can't breathe it in like you do oxygen. Jesus told us how the divine life of the vine reaches into the human branch. In John 15, 5 to 7, don't miss the last part of this text. John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So the warning, if anyone, verse 6, does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. So he's, now he's going to come back to what this abiding in him means. Verse 7, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. So it doesn't happen just by hunger. It doesn't happen just by longing. Uh, and let me just say it. I hope you don't misunderstand what I'm saying. You can't worship this kind of life into your soul. Those words are recorded. It's his words. They've been inspired, protected, preserved at great price, all of the recorders of Jesus' words spilled their bloods in death for their task, save one. So wrap your mind and heart every day of your life around the truth. Be like a tree that never withers only because its roots never leave the source of God's sacred, holy, inspired, inerrant word guarding, ruling your mind, treasured in your hearts. That's it. That's how we got our Bibles. That's how we know they're sure and trustworthy. Don't forget Wednesday, this Wednesday, 7 o'clock, we took a little break, Christmas and New Year's, but, but uh, join us for our devotional refresh as we're wrapping up Mark's gospel, going right through it. Again, the words of Jesus, the things of Jesus. We're going to be studying them together. Let's pray. Your word is precious beyond telling. Forgive us. Forgive us, Lord, for, for treating it as anything mundane, routine, ordinary. It is more precious than gold, much fine gold, and it's sweeter. So, so this year, increase our appetite. Corporately, increase our appetite. Privately, increase our appetite for your word. That's how we abide in Christ. Bless your church. Protect us. Keep us in your care. Keep us devoted 
by whatever means we can. Keep us devoted to gathering together to study your word. I ask it in Jesus' name and I thank you. Amen, amen. Love the word and love one another and join us for our prayer time. God bless you, church.